0: Good morning. It's good to be with you again. I'm grateful for the, um, the invitation to be with you today. As a little girl, I spent a lot of weekends at my grandma's house. Each Friday night, we had a ritual of sorts. We would go eat catfish at Ray's Mill Pond Restaurant, where we would feed the leftover hush puppies to the alligators in the swamp out back. We'd drive home slowly, taking time to ride through the family farmland. We'd get back to Grandma's house about sunset. I'd go to the freezer, get a Klondike bar for each of us, and we'd enjoy them while we watched Jeopardy! in the back room. Then we would lock up for the night. Now, locking up for the night was not just part of the ritual. Locking up was a ritual all on its own. It had to be because of the many and varied locking mechanisms on my grandma's door. There was the lock on the door itself, then the deadbolt right above it. I'd flip the latch down low while grandma fixed the chain that was out of my reach. Then we slid the bolt lock across and we were safe and secure. Nobody was getting in that door. As a teenager, I would tease my grandma that if the house ever caught on fire, I was going through a window because nobody was getting out of that door quickly either. (laughs) That image of my grandma's door, locked tight and bolted down, comes to mind when I imagine the disciples hiding place on that Easter night. The scripture says their doors were locked for fear of the Jews. Picture it. The disciples meeting in terror, listening fearfully for every creak on the store, on the stair or every rap on the door, anxious about who lurked in the shadows, their imaginations running wild with what might happen if they were found. So they locked the knob and turned the deadbolt and flipped the latch, affixed the chain, and slid the bolt to keep themselves safe. While the other disciples locked themselves in, Thomas went out. He wasn't scared, at least not of the same things they were scared of. Back when the other disciples had voiced concerns about Jesus' safety, it had been Thomas that said, let us also go that we might die with him. Thomas was ready to face whatever came his way. He refused to stay locked down because of the fear of what might happen. Don't be mistaken. Tough guy Thomas walled himself in another way when he heard from his friends that they had seen the risen lord he shut them out no way he said i can't believe it unless i see it for myself thomas refused to get his hopes up he could not be emotionally invested again it was just too much at stake so he put up his own walls and locked the doors so that no one could get in The group of disciples shut out the world and isolated themselves from anyone outside their circle. Thomas withdrew from those to whom he was closest and found himself alone with his skepticism. Both lived in fear. And in both cases, the path of fear was the path of loneliness. Have you ever known anyone who lived with that kind of fear? A few years ago, my husband Jody and I stumbled on a TV show on the National Geographic channel. The show was called Doomsday Preppers, and each episode told the story of someone who was getting ready for something terrible to happen. One guy, Rodney, and his family lived in Alaska. He was fully prepared for a cataclysmic, a cataclysmic earthquake, as well as the tsunami that would follow to hit the coast of Alaska. Alaska. To better survive doomsday and sustain his family, Rodney had built a series of underwater caches where he he stored an extensive food supply and a bug-out vehicle. Now, he could only get there by scuba diving, so Rodney was confident that his valuable supplies would be protected. And then there was Kurt, the electrical engineer, whose distrust of the government compelled him to prepare for an economic collapse. Kurt designed and built a fortified solar house off the grid on an 80-acre estate in the backcountry of Oregon. Isolation was one of his family's strengths, he claimed, but just in case, they had a 3,000-square-foot greenhouse, a lake with a million gallons of water, infrared cameras, and a high-tech software system. Oh, and did I mention that his children were marksmanship-trained? The irony is that the people featured on this show don't look like people who would be afraid. Most of them were large, strong, white males, most of whom had military training. In their pictures on the show's website, they were yielding weapons. They certainly didn't look like the kind of guys who could be bullied. But every one of them operates out of fear. And their fear has taken over their ability to have a normal life. They spend all of their time and resources trying to protect themselves from whatever it is that they dread the most. Now, these are certainly extreme examples. But don't we all have times that we imagine the worst that could happen and then try to lock it out? At some level, all of us live with fear And anxiety, dread, apprehension. You may not fear catastrophic natural disasters or governmental oppression or religious persecution. Fear may not look like that for you. Fear looks different for each of us. Fear can look like worry. Fear is sitting in the doctor's office waiting for the biopsy results or pacing the floor after midnight when your teenager hasn't made it home yet. Fear can be distrust. It can look like locked doors and drawn curtains, or a suspicious glance over the shoulder. Fear is crossing to the other side of the street or locking your car doors before approaching someone you think looks suspicious. Fear is refusing to have a conversation with someone whose views are different from yours. Fear can also take the form of anger. Fear takes over when we divert our eyes from the eyes of someone who's hurt us. It can make us avoid certain places so we don't bump into someone we don't want to see. Fear is lashing out at someone who has done you wrong. Fear can even look like greed. Like the empty bread shelf at Publix when the forecast calls for ice. Fear is hoarding what we have so we don't run out. Fear is not trying out for the chorus, though you really love to sing. Fear is refusing to go new places or meet new people or try new things. Fear is staying home from school so you don't have to face the taunting of bullies. Fear is refusing to be yourself because somebody might not like you. Fear can even be spiritual. You avoid a hard conversation because you don't want to be compelled to make a personal change. You read the Bible a certain way because you're just not sure what it means if you take those words at face value. You're afraid of death because you can't be certain about what's on the other side. You busy yourself because you fear what God just might say to you in the silence. What does your fear look like? Fear happens to us every single day. And it's not always a bad thing. Fears can be real and valid, like warning lights that save us from things that could harm us. There's nothing wrong with having a little healthy fear. There are things in this world that should scare us a little. We should lock our doors and put on our seatbelts, wear a mask and get vaccines. In this age of COVID, many of us have found ourselves taking caution to be behind locked doors or quarantine at times or take other precautions to avoid the risk of spreading this terrible virus. Please don't hear me say that if you're doing those things, we're living in fear or that we're not faithful enough. The saddest thing about the story of the disciples in our Bible story today is not that they were afraid behind those locked doors. It's not even that they locked the doors to begin with. The threat they faced was very real. The problem that the disciples faced is that they were stuck in their fear. They had shut themselves off from others. They locked down on Friday night, but it was Sunday. It was Easter Sunday. Jesus was alive and they knew it. Mary Magdalene had already told them all about it. Easter had happened. God had defeated death and love had won. They had heard the good news, but they stayed locked in by their fear. Here is the good news of Easter. When we find ourselves afraid, we don't have to stay stuck there. The disciples found out that no matter how many locks they fastened on their door, Jesus showed up anyway. He came to free them. A garden tomb could not hold him, and locked doors could not keep him away. Jesus penetrated their walls and showed up in the midst of their fear. And when he did, the words he spoke to them were these, Peace be with you. One of my favorite authors, Frederick Buechner, says that peace is not the absence of struggle, but the presence of love. This was the kind of peace that Jesus brought. Jesus did not promise them protection from harm. For them, Sunday really was not any safer than Friday or Saturday. Jesus didn't deny that bad things would happen, nor did he try to minimize them. He didn't explain them away as God's will or God's method of testing their spiritual fiber. Jesus would not save them from all struggle. But he did say, peace be with you. And he assured them that God's spirit would go with them always. Not the absence of struggle, but the presence of love. Throughout the Holy Scriptures, we read promise after promise of God's presence in the midst of our fear. In Deuteronomy we read, Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. The prophet Isaiah writes, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Do not be anxious about anything, Paul writes. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And words from Jesus himself. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your span of life? And peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not let them be afraid. These words were spoken or penned by different believers out of various life situations, but their theme is constant. Do not be afraid. God is with you. Easter is here. Jesus is alive, and his resurrection is our assurance that with God, the worst things are never the last things. Like the disciples, we have a choice before us. We can choose to let fear dictate how we lead our lives. Or we can give our fears over to the Spirit of God that can penetrate even the strongest of walls. The Holy Spirit is with us, working to grow us out of our fear and into God's peace and love. In her book, Lean In, the COO of Facebook, Sheryl Sandberg, talks about how fear holds us back from achieving our goals and taking part in opportunities that will stretch us and grow us. She tells that at Facebook they work really hard to create a culture where people are encouraged to take risk and face their fears. They have posters all around their office to reinforce this attitude. Her favorite poster, written in bright red letters, reads, What would you do if you weren't afraid? What would you do if you weren't afraid? Only God knows the boundless possibilities. Thanks be to God.